Please be seated. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. And probably we're paying close attention in that gospel reading and thinking, oh my, there's a lot of really interesting things in here that Jesus says. But I'm going to say very little about any of that tonight. I'm going to look at Romans instead because we're kind of trying to do a little bit of a series here working through uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. And last week, if you remember, we talked about the peace of a disciple. And we noted that disciples of Jesus have peace with God uh, because we have been justified by faith. And we talked about what that means, that justification word. It means that we are reconciled to God in the present with a sure hope of salvation in the future. In the end, God has declared us not guilty because Jesus has died for all of the sins that make us guilty. And we have also obtained this unbridled presence to the royal courts of the king, to God's presence, because of what Jesus has done for us. And Paul reminded us with those beautiful words, God proved his love for us, and that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. And now what we're going to talk about this week is the new life of a disciple. Because we have to ask, uh, now that this relationship has been achieved and we know where we are in this relationship with God, what's next? Where do we go from here? Right? Uh, So we're going to ask that question tonight. And it works like this. If you've been married or in a serious relationship of any sort, you know there's that initial stage where you realize that the other person loves you and accepts you and has made the choice to give themselves, their self to you, and when that happens, there's all kinds of joy and realization about the nature of your relationship. But at some point, you have to start thinking about what it will look like to actually settle into that relationship and to walk hand in hand together into the future. You have to ask the question, what's next? Where do we go from here? Because anytime we enter a new relationship, our lives start to look quite a bit different. Things change. Let me share uh, from personal experience. When I met my dear wife, Hannah, and realized that she was going to keep me around for a while, I was overjoyed. There was that initial stage. I was overjoyed. I was like Sally Field getting that golden globe. I can't deny that you like me. You really, really like me. And there was just all this joy and elation. But then I started seeing different areas of my life and how they needed to change. I couldn't sit around with my college roommates every night and drink beer and discuss the meaning of the universe. I had to spend time with this new person in my life. I couldn't just spend all that instant cash I was making as a waiter on junk food and skateboards and new clothing. I needed to uh, get my finances in order, take my, my my new lady out on some dates. I needed to uh, start being more responsible with my uh, savings account. I needed to get it above $3, right? Uh, Because this new person was on my life. All of these things had to change because I was entering a new life. A new life that was a relationship with an other. Now, if that's how it is in human relationships, how much more between God and one of his children? Now, going into our passage in Romans, if you want to follow along in your bulletin, it will probably be helpful. Um, When Paul is proclaiming the message of God's abundant grace, which we were discussing last week, God's abundant grace towards sinners in Jesus Christ, Paul was worried that it could be misconstrued. He was worried that that message might be misconstrued. He was worried that people might think of it like this. Since I'm saved by grace, since I'm in, since I have peace with God now, I don't really any longer have to be worried too much about my behavior or about any life change. 
there's not really much of a need to think about a new life. Paul was worried that the gospel would be misconstrued in this way as a cheap kind of grace, right? And so Paul writes what he does in Romans chapter 6 to ensure that we don't misconstrue what the gospel is. He wants us to see how being in Christ effectively brings about a new way of life, a new life. So he says this, should we continue in sin? That is, should we continue in the old way of life? In order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin go on living in it? Then he goes on to describe baptism with some very vivid imagery of death and life, of dying and rising again. Have you ever thought about baptism in this way? Uh, Paul describes it and says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we've been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. It's an amazing, a stunningly beautiful image of what it is to become a person, a child of God through baptism, to sort of as that water is poured over you or as you are immersed, that old self is being washed away. It is dying and the new self is rising and a new life begins. Beautiful imagery that Paul uses to describe our incorporation into the life of Jesus. But then he goes on to say this, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now think about those six words. We have been united with him. That is powerful. We have been united with him, meaning we're in a fully committed relationship with him. We have a new life now that we are with him. Paul says that because we've been united with him, and these are Paul's words, we too might walk in newness of life. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by newness of life? He means when you were baptized or when you came to an age where you could place your faith and take hold of your identity as a baptized child, when that happened and you put your faith in Jesus, you began a new life. You said yes to Jesus. You started a new relationship. You became committed to somebody who had shown themselves to be committed to you. And just like in a human marriage, things are going to start to change. Things are going to start to change. Here's what happens. When you get married, the other person starts to rub off on you as you spend time in their presence. They rub off on you as you spend time in their presence. When I married Hannah, a fiscally responsible woman, if ever there were one, I eventually started to manage my money better because I saw how she managed her own money. Her character was rubbing off on me and that savings account of mine finally got me on the $3 mark. Okay? Hallelujah. Her character rubbed off on me. See, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, he should start to rub off on us. His character should start to become our character. And over time, little by little, we should start to look more and more like him. It's a lifelong, ongoing process that we should be continually looking more and more like him. This is how the new life of a disciple begins. But it's important to think about how this works because it isn't all about how hard we can try or how much we can achieve through mere willpower. 
And here's what I mean. Think about this. Think about how your natural life is derived from your parents, from your biological parents. The thing is that you can lose that life if you don't take care of it, if you neglect it. You have to feed yourself and take care of yourself and sleep and so forth, or you can lose that life. But you have to remember this. You're not making it. You're not making the life. You're only keeping up a life that you have received from someone else. It's just like that for a Christian. You have received a new life from God in Christ through faith and baptism, but you can start to lose the Christ life put into you by neglect, by not, not, not paying any attention to it, not nourishing it. So you have to make efforts to keep it, right? Making efforts in the spiritual life is a very biblical idea, okay? So you're asking, what does that effort look like? What does that effort look like if I'm not just a passive person waiting all the time for God to sort of wave a wand and make me like Jesus? What does that effort look like? What does it look like for me when I wake up tomorrow morning? Well, and here's my sale for next week's sermon. Next week, we're going to talk about the habits of a disciple, and we're going to look at some specific practices that should be a, a, part, a, a part of every Christian's life that have a formative effect on us as Jesus followers. But in the meantime, what if you did this? Or something along these lines. What if you did this? Take your bulletin insert home on the weekend and work through the gospel passage or work through whatever passage in there and, and, and go to it with a pen and a prayerful heart and underline words that stick out to you. Underline Jesus' words that stick out to you. Circle words that you don't understand or that don't make sense to you. Put a question mark in the margins. Go ahead. One of our colleagues in our prayer book says that we should read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest Holy Scripture. Amen to that. Go to the, go to the bulletin and mark it up. Ask questions. Underline the things that stand out to you. Uh, circle Jesus' commands and pray through that. Write out questions that you'd ask Jesus if you got to sit face to face with them. What did you mean by this, that I have to love you more than my mother and father and my family? How, what does that mean for me? Right? I guarantee his words, his voice, will influence you. It will have an influence on you. This is the, one of the main ways that we hear from God in the Christian life, not from sort of auditory experiences where God's voice thunders out and boom, we hear him say something directly to us. It generally happens when we're in his word, hearing his voice. This is his living word right here. St. Tikhon of the Orthodox tradition says this. I love this. This is great. He says, whenever you read the gospel, Christ himself is... <laughs> Christ and God might have just spoken to us. <laughs> he was waking up anybody who was sleeping. St. <laughs> Tikhon of the Orthodox uh, tradition says this. Whenever you read the gospel, Christ himself is speaking to you. And while you read, you are praying and talking with it's a beautiful image of what it looks like, what it is to engage the Word of God. What better way could there be to settle more deeply into this new relationship with Jesus than to hear Him speak through His Word and to ponder what He says, to talk with Him, to ask Him, what does this mean for me at work tomorrow? What does this mean for me? Uh, what does it mean to lose my life for your sake when I'm with family and friends tomorrow? What an amazing way to receive the influence of Jesus on our lives. Here's what will happen. Here's what will happen. His life will start to become your life. The more you engage him in his word and hear his word and observe how he interacts with people, his character will rub off on you. 
His humility in the face of insult will become your own. You know that pesky co-worker or family member who you always find condescending and insulting? You'll find yourself lifting them up to the Lord in prayer. Father, forgive them. His fearlessness to speak the truth about God will give you confidence to do the same. You'll become less worried about your pride and your ego and speaking about your faith to other people in public. His character will rub off on you. His willingness to die so that others can have a relationship with God that will create a deeper desire in you to invite others to experience life in Christ. The closer you become to Jesus, the more you will experience his influence. It will happen. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. Paul tells us this today. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself dead to that old life where you were addicted to certain things, where you were tied and bound up to your sins, to your selfishness, to your greed, to your lust. Walk away from that. It is time to live into the new life. And maybe it's been a while since you considered yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. Maybe it's been a while since you have truly alive walking in the power of His Spirit. Because the new life isn't something that just comes and automatically stays after baptism and faith. We have to actually have practices that make us available to God's work in our life. Now, what if? What if that has gotten away from us? We just haven't felt alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's a story about two of the desert fathers of the church. The desert fathers were these kind of monastic figures who went and lived out in solitary in the wilderness and prayed together. And there's a story about two of them, and it says this, Abba Moses asked Abba Silvanus, can a person every day make a beginning of the good life? The Abba Silvanus answered him, if they be diligent, they can every day and every hour begin the good life anew. You see, anyone who is willing to make the effort, even if you have to start new every day, will find a Jesus whose arms are wide open. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you let me in, I will come and dine with you. That's a part of John's letter to Christians who have lost their first love. If you read and reflect on the gospel passage today that we, that we heard that said some very, very difficult and challenging things about following Jesus, you'll see that following Christ is no small decision. It's no small decision. It involves putting our whole selves in, no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. Jesus says that even our relationships, even relationships with family sometimes, will suffer when we are faithful to him. Then he says this. This is, this is hard to hear. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. This is the paradox of Christian faith. This is the paradox of Christian faith. He's saying people who live for themselves, who try to build a good life on their own, will in the end lose everything. In other words, they can't experience that newness of life 
can't experience the new life. But my disciples, who place their lives in my hands, are willing to relinquish control, willing to be committed to me, surrendered to me, and to have every area of their life surrendered to my lordship. They will find the life that they were created for, the new life. Let us pray.